Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This morning, Mark chapter number four and verse, or Mark chapter number nine, rather, not four. Mark chapter number nine, verse number 49, starting. And uh, I'm aware of the time, and I'll try to try to be mindful of that. What one person said, said being mindful of time just mean, doesn't necessarily mean that changes everything. It's just that you're aware of it. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm joking. I will try to be mindful of time. Mark 9 and verse number 49. We're going to baptize, baptize Maddie here at the end of service. Am I saying her name correctly? Yes, Maddie, at the end of service. I told her the only requirement for baptism is repentance. She says, well, I've, I've repented, and we talked about repentance for a little bit. Amen. So we want to bury dead people in a spiritual sense. Okay. No one get the wrong idea. <laughs> in a spiritual sense. Amen. Turn away from what we have known and turn toward the Lord. Mark 9 and verse 49, for the Bible says, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Here's where I need to go for our series here. Have salt in yourselves. These are the words of Jesus in 49 and 50. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. And have peace with one another. This is part four of our one another series. Thus far we've looked at acknowledging one another, loving one another, serving one another. And today we're looking at pacify one another or be at peace. Be at peace with one another. I just simplified it into the word pacify. Be at peace with one another. He said have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, today. God, we're so grateful for this opportunity. We're grateful, Lord, for this gathering together of people this morning. God, for your spirit that we have already felt and witnessed, Lord, in this place. God, we do not take that lightly, Lord. We do not take that lightly today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for allowing us to feel that, experience that, and hopefully, God, someone's life to be changed by that. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, to bring understanding, Lord, in this place this morning. We'll give you the glory and the praise. God, for what you do in this place. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I mean, so glad to have everybody. Glad to have Ivy's mom again. Let me get see if I have the name right. If I have it wrong, Sandy, is that correct? See, look at this. Tell you what, I must have ate something good this morning. Help me with my memory. Amen. Thank the Lord. Pacify or be at peace with one another. And I do this for everybody. I've been kind of reviewing each time. We have all of these one another scriptures in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, this, this phrase one another used about 100 times in New Testament scripture. Found, though, in about 94 verses. And we have them. And uh, when I started out in this series, I, I took them and I categorized them under different headings. Such as acknowledge one another or love one another, serve one another, be at peace with one another. And next week we'll look at 
exhort or edify one another because they all could basically fall underneath those headings and set them in arrangement as uh, we did this morning uh, in this series, uh, approaching each one as I have because I did not believe one could be done without the one prior to it, that we could not love someone we didn't acknowledge and that we could not serve then someone and submit ourselves to someone we did not love. And then just rightfully so for this morning, we could not be at peace with each other if we were not willing to serve one another. And so then finally next week we'll come to understand we wouldn't be able to edify or build up each other if we're not at peace. Because it's kind of hard to tear down and build up at the same time. You know what I'm saying? It's hard to build your brother or sister up and at the same time have words of negativity or other things that's tearing them down. It just really kind of conflicts a little bit. I think you would agree. And so with that being said, we have this one word in the Greek language of the New Testament that, that's translated one another in our English Bibles. And what it does, it expresses, it expresses an action that is done in two or more directions. That love is to take place in two or more directions. That, that servanthood is to take place in, in two or more directions. It's to happen reciprocally. It's to happen mutually at the same level as the other. And so when we look at being at peace or pacifying one another, again, about a quarter of those 47 verses that gives us instructions and commandments are telling us to be at peace or pacify one another. Half of those pacify verses, half of those verses that tell us to be at peace with one another are telling us not so much what to do, but what not to do. You know, sometimes uh, you can learn just as much uh, by someone telling you what not to do than by telling you what to do. And so whenever it tells us to be at peace, sometimes the verses tell us what not to do And when we don't do those things, we have, as a result, peace. Because there's scriptures in God's word that tells us not to be critical of one another. Or not to be overly judgmental of one another. Other verses that plainly says not to provoke one another or speak evil of one another. Or to be begrudging toward one another. And so by telling us what not to do. It helps us satisfy what should be done. And that's being at peace with one another. And so 11 times there's this call to pacify one another, whether it's a positive command of telling us what to do or a negative command of telling us what not to do in order to achieve the peace. And again, as I've done with all of these, it's recorded by four different authors in the scriptures. It's in seven different books. And it's another one of those statements that's similar to love one another and serve one another that it also has come directly to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Even in our scripture setting today of Mark 9 and verse number 50, it is Jesus that says, have peace one with another. And we learned last week at the closure of our lesson that that serving one another does breed a unity among us. It breeds a unity among us. We ended like in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5 where uh, the Lord had told the early church to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And he went on to talk to them about, remember, their husband and wife relationships, uh, their parent-children relationships, their servant-master relationships. And in those, with those relationships, he told them to submit to one another or serve one another because that would be a way for us to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of Peace. And so we are admonished in Scripture to have peace with one another. And it's important to see that this admonition from the Lord in Mark 9 comes on the heels of a story earlier in verses 33 through 37 where the disciples evidently had been on a journey. They've been in the way. And they have been disputing among each other. So that's not peace. They've been disputing among each other about this. Who is the greatest? I mean, is, is Peter the greater apostle or, or is it Matthew or, or is it John, you know, or is it Andrew? I mean, they all probably had something they could contribute and probably argued their own selves quite well about who was being the greatest. But there was a disruption, a disputing, not peace, because each was looking after themselves about who was the greatest. Well, we have some problems right away because everybody was looking at themselves rather than serving one another, Right. And so since they had this dispute, Jesus even asked them in those verses of Scripture, he said, what, what was it y'all was disputing about along the way? Now, nobody was willing to admit, well, I was just letting them know that I'm the thing. You know, I, I'm the whole Happy Meal, <laughs> you know, and, and an ice cream cone on top of that. Nobody wanted to speak up and say anything, but Jesus knew what had been going on, and he understood there had been disputing among them. And his answer to them, although they didn't have to say anything, he knew what was happening. By and large, he knows what's happening, folks. All right? We, you don't even have to say a word. He knows what's going on, and he can talk to us concerning what's going on, and that's what he did for his apostles. He said, if any man desired to be first, he said, the same shall be the last of all. And servant, here we are back to that serving one another, and servant of all. And then he comes down later and tells us that we should have peace with one another. I believe we was relaying something through Mark chapter number 9 uh, for our one another series and for us in general, and that is that people will come to peace with one another as a result of being able to serve one another. And that's been my platform for this series of these each leaning on each other. He says, you all disputing who's the first, who's the greatest. He said, you want to be the first, you'll be the last, and that means you be the servant to one another. And when you're servant with one another, you'll be what I said in verse number 50, you'll be at peace. You'll be at peace with one another. It's hard to be in conflict with somebody you're submitting to if you're serving them. Amen. Someone say amen. And so this truth, again, is no better seen, no better seen than in Galatians 5. We looked at Galatians 5 when we talk about serving. We looked at Galatians 5 whenever we talked about loving. But in Galatians 5, 15, or verses 13 through 15, it is seen yet again. It relays the idea that, that whenever we don't have that mutual peace, that one another peace, that reciprocal peace between one another, what we are given to is a reciprocal and a mutual destruction. Look at it as we pick up with verse 13, which we have looked at in lessons gone by. He says, for brethren, I have, I ha ye have been called unto liberty, which we understood to be grace in Galatians 5. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Let it not be self-serving, but by love. Everybody say love. But by love serve one another. 
So we serve by love. There's two one another's right there, love and serving. Now look now, verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 15, but contrasting to this, but if ye bite and devour one another, <coughs> take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. <laughs> in other words, verse 15 comes about as a contrast to fulfilling the law of love. He says, if you serve by love, you will have fulfilled the law because the law of love is to love your neighbor as yourself. But verse 15 comes in contrast to that. When we are void of love, when we're void of love with one another, and we are not serving one another, we become destructive. We become destructive toward one another. I, I am convinced that in many regards, there is no neutral ground concerning this thing. We're either working for each other or we're working against each other. We're either working for the Lord or we're working against the Lord. There is no neutral ground. Amen. That's the reason why even, and I think it was in Mark 9 that time, even in Mark 9, that there was the scenario that there was a man that had cast out uh, some type of unclean spirit by the name of Jesus. And the disciples said, Lord, said he, he, we're just letting you know this guy's casting uh, unclean spirits out by your name and he's not of us. He said, well, if he's not, if he's not against me, then he's for me. Again, there's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground in this thing. And so this concept of peace, peace, uh, the idea and the concept of peace was very essential to Judaism, very essential to them even still yet today. We are admonished as uh, any Bible believers to pray for uh, the peace of Jerusalem, pay, pray for the peace of the people and the city. Amen. The reason being is that peace was important to the relationships. People. Peace was important, amen, to them all throughout the scriptures. Peace, according to some of the Jewish sages, was the ultimate purpose of the whole Torah. Their own people say this, that all that is written in the Torah, which would have been the first five books of the Old Testament, all that is written in the Torah was written for the sake of peace. For the sake of peace, where it's very important to them. As a matter of fact, a common salutation among the Jews, and Brother May should probably verify this, is shalom. Shalom. Amen. Now, shalom, you, you can look at the definition of shalom in their language, and it goes beyond just peace. goes beyond just peace. Uh, although one English translation of shalom is peace, it's not peace in the same sense as you and I think about peace. But it comes from a Hebrew root word that means wholeness. Wholeness. They say shalom whenever they meet each other. They say shalom whenever they depart from each other. It's wholeness. The Hebraic view of thinking concerning wholeness is this. It's the joining. Wholeness for them is the joining together of two opposites. They don't have to be similar things. But two opposite things that come together is shalom, is wholeness, or if you will, is peace. And that's the reason why, one of the reasons I should say why, they say shalom when they come together, when they greet each other, and when they depart. Because it's to those two opposite things of going and coming that bring wholeness to their life, or if you will, peace unto their life. It's from my understanding, Brother Mace could probably elaborate on this a whole lot better than I, but in Hebrew, to ask someone how they are, can you do that? 
Can you say how are you in Hebrew? Mashlamcha. Uh -huh. That's exactly what I would have said. But from my understanding, whenever you ask someone how they are in Hebrew, they are asking them, how's your state of peace? How's your state of peace to a certain, am, am I right now? How's your state of peace? Because it was vitally important to them as a people, the people that was God's people, that there would be such a state of wholeness or peace of mind. Now, that doesn't mean we are similar on everything. But that means we can take our differences and we can join them together in agreement and bring wholeness. Because I, I, I kind of rode a horse a little bit Wednesday night talking about if you're ready to go to church and not suffer hurt, forget it. Sooner or later, we're all going to hurt each other. From the pastor on down to whomever, everybody's going to hurt one another uh, at one time or another. But peace isn't about us just all the time seeing eye to eye, but it's about us taking our differences, joining them together, and having what truly scripturally is peace or wholeness in the Word of God. Amen. So having peace with one another is, is wholeness with one another. We're all a part of the same body. Amen. We're all a part of this same body. So in addition to serving, Jesus told them how to successfully have peace with one another. He advised them by this. He says, if you want to have peace with one another, note in, in, in Mark 9, 50, he advised them, them then that they have salt in themselves. So what he said, can you bring Mark 9, 50 back up for me, please, real quick? Look at it. He said, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. It's like Jesus is saying this. If you can, if you'll get salt, if you'll have, and we'll explain this in a bit. If you'll have salt in you, you'll have peace between you. If you'll have salt in you, you'll have peace between you. Now, we all know about salt, don't we? Some of you are supposed to be keeping away from sodium. <laughs> I all know about salt. Salt used sometimes for seasoning food. And someone says, I hope there's some salt on the table. Sometimes used as a medicine, used as a preservative. However, in our text today, amen, salt was used for sacrifice. That was referenced in our text, speaking about every sacrifice in verse 49 shall be salted with salt. It was used for sacrifice. As a matter of fact, according to the Old Testament law, every sacrifice was to be salted. None were to go without it. Leviticus 2 verse 13 bears this out. It says, in every oblation of the meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering with all thine offerings. Thou shalt offer salt. It was customary. Customary in that day. That whenever two people come together to make a covenant, that, that covenant was verified or that covenant was ratified by the parties entering into it eating bread and salt. Bread and salt. Because salt had this, this symbolic uh, symbolism of, of being pure, of being a preservative, of being incorruptible in quality. And so it, for two parties to come into covenant, might I even say two opposing parties, here we go again. Two opposing parties coming together in covenant or coming together in peace. The wholeness of them coming together was recognized by salt being a part of that, that, that meat offering or a part of that covenant.
covenant. So in the sacrificial system, just stay with me, sacrificial system of the Old Testament, salt was required. That salt illustrated, if you will, the wholeness or the peace of God and of his people that he had between them and himself. Amen. Salt, whenever it came into the picture of sacrifice, it did not come directly from that offerer per se. But it was every member of that congregation that brought salt, not just the times when they brought sacrifice, but they just brought salt and they had a storehouse in the temple of God that was known as the salt room. Yeah, they had, a, they had a storehouse in the temple of God that was known as the salt room and that's where the salt was kept so that every offering could be salted. What I'm trying to convey is this. Peace or this idea of wholeness was so, so important to God and his people. They said, we're going to make sure we have a room within the temple that has a salt room, amen, that can indicate every covenant that we make with one another or with God can be whole, can be peaceful, can be the interaction of our lives together with a, if you will, a large amount of peace among us. Someone say amen. So salt in the Old Testament was literal for sacrifice. And Jesus is saying in the New Testament, he's saying, listen, he said, you yourselves must be, salt must be in you. You're now you, as Hebrew says, you are a living sacrifice. And as the Old Testament sacrifice could not be without salt, you, as Hebrew says, a living sacrifice cannot be without salt. He says, if salt will be in you, it will be then essential to the peace that you have with me and with each other. Now, how so? Consider Colossians 4 in verse number 6. I'm trying to be mindful here. Colossians 4 in verse number 6. It says, let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with, what does it say? One moment, I got to get on the horse and ride it because I got the music for it. <laughs> Seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Case in point. He said, let your speech be with grace and seasoned with salt. Probably one of the main instruments in keeping or disrupting peace among us is our mouth. I mean, whenever you really boil down, the probably the, the main perpetrator of disharmony or harmony is the mouth. It can either keep peace or it can cause disruption. In so much that Paul tells those of Colossae, the church Colossae, he said, let your speech be with grace and seasoned What's he throwing in there? He says, you want the, the venue to peace? He said, if you have, here, wait, let's go back to Mark 9 and 49 and 50. He says, if you have salt in yourselves, you'll have peace with one another. Let me state it like this. If you'll season your speech with salt, you'll more likely have peace with your brothers and your sisters. Because everybody say my mouth. It gets me in trouble. It doesn't only get us in trouble with God, it gets us in trouble with one another. Provoking words. All it takes is some provoking words, and those words can instigate some anger in somebody. Being critical. Huh? Being critical. So you, it might be a body language, but sooner or later it's going to fly out your mouth. Being critical will cause disharmony among the members. Being judgmental. Huh? Cause disharmony among the members. 
I knew this peace lesson was going to be more difficult. Look at 2 Samuel chapter number 10. And, and, and I'm not sure if I, if I did or not, Brother Zach. 2 Samuel chapter number 10 and verse 1 through 5. I want to read it to you. I want to read this to you. This, this, this is just, look how this happens with our mouths. And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died. And Hanan, his son, reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will shew kindness unto Hanan, the son of Naash, as his father shewed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan, their Lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor, that doth honor thy father that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Wherefore, Hanan took David's servants, shaved off one half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. And when they told him to David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. Now look at this, folks. This is a story in the previous chapter, in chapter number nine, David has just shown kindness to Mephibosheth, a man honoring his covenant that he made with Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. Jonathan was dead. Jonathan was deceased. But David was going to honor his covenant that he made with Jonathan, and he was going to show kindness unto Mephibosheth. Well, in chapter number 10, here's a man, Hanan, his father has died. His father Nahash had been kind to David. And David, since now this man is dead, is just wanting to show kindness unto his son. He wished to do the same for his son. But there were some princes that were around Hanun that began to speak in Hanun's ear. And here's what they did. They stirred up strife. They said, Hanan, do you really think David is coming and sending servants to be a comfort to you? I'd rather think that they're coming to spy out the land and try to do you a disservice. In other words, these people had wrongly interpreted the actions of David of what he really was going for to bring comfort. And by using their mouth, they stirred up where there would have been peace. They stirred up disharmony and strife. And before the day was over, they had a war on their hand. I'm telling you, these two bodies of people are going to war when it was really just a peaceable matter. But because somebody's mouth got involved... David was really sending servants to show kindness. He was really sending servants to show some comfort to this man that has lost his father. But because somebody's mouth got involved, instead of going there with comfort, they went away with shame and were going back now with a sword and a shield and their armor on. And they're going to do battle because somebody couldn't keep their mouth shut. Note this in your paper if you got any you're writing on. When we have suspicious and judgmental spirits, we can stir up strife where none even existed. Could you imagine how appalled David must be? Man, he sent those boys out with good intent, and when they come back home, he realizes he's going to have to get ready for war. 
Amen. And so here is a key for us today. One way that we can, one way that we can abstain from being overly critical or overly judgmental is to be more understanding. A good way to combat being critical is try to be more understanding. Because sometimes you are seeing on the surface only a part of the story, and there's another part that's not on the surface. There's another part of it that's not on the surface that you're not privy to, but you're just picking up everything you can pick up with your eyes, everything you can pick up by observation, and you're ready to let your lips get loose concerning what you're observing when you might not know the motive or intent behind what's taking place because that's not something that's being shown right now. What I'm saying is this. We wouldn't say some of the things we say if we knew the whole story. Let me say it like this. Years ago, the old preacher man, I think it was John Wesley or one of those dudes, years ago, someone had come to the Lord. They started serving the Lord. They paid their tithes. They paid their offering. But anytime they would take up a special, special offering, this individual that had recently been saved did not really give to that. Another person came hounding them about that. So bless God, I know you give your tithes and offering, but when we have these special offerings for this and that, and he said, you don't give as much. I just don't understand that. And just blah, 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 blah. And that person told them, said, well, before I came to the Lord, I got myself in a lot of debt and a lot of different scenarios. And said, and rather than filing bankruptcy, rather than filing bankruptcy, all the extra money I have, I'm trying to pay off my debtors. So I'm giving what I can to these special things, but I thought it was important for them to get my debtors paid off. Now, see, from an observation, everybody might want to have loose lips and start sinking ships. Because, well, they're, they're not giving a whole bunch in that extra offering over there. No, no, no. But they're trying to pay off a debt. Amen. And so you, you, you might retract what you'd say if you knew the whole story. If you knew the whole story. First Chronicles 22 and verse 9. The Bible says, Behold, a son shall be born to thee. Who shall be a man of rest. Speaking to David. I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. Verse 10. And he shall build a house for my name. And he shall be my son. And I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Here's another reason why we need peace. Because. David, prior to Solomon, his son, David was known as a man of war. David was a man that had shed much blood. He had been involved in several battles. He was constantly fighting as though it were. I mean, no, no just about time he gets finished with one battle, it seemed like another one was standing in line to fight. And, of course, by doing that, there was a gaining of land, but he's constantly fighting. But since that's the case, David really didn't have great opportunity to build the house of the Lord. Because he's all the time built in fighting. He's always, he's always uh, given his time and attention to disharmony. And so he couldn't build the house of the Lord. But he told David, he says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. Your son's going to have rest. I'm going to give him peace. And as a result, he's going to build the house for my name. 
Solomon was able to build a house for the name of the Lord because Solomon had peace during the time of his reign. He was able to develop the kingdom. He was able to build the house of the Lord due to the peace that he had among other people around him. What I'm saying is this. It's hard to build the house of God when there's a bunch of bickering and fussing and animosity. David couldn't do it in this generation because he's all involved in fighting. But Solomon could because he had peace. So we need to be at peace with one another because this thing can go on a little further. If we'll just get over our isms and schisms, we can focus on what needs to be focused upon. Amen. So peace is important to building a church. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, or 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, he says, now I beseech you, talking to the church at Corinth, he said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. He's talking about them being in harmony. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Again, he's talking to them being of the same mind. He's wanting them to be in harmony. Harmony. Speak all the same thing. Be in harmony with one another. What's he talking about? He's talking about wholeness. He's talking about peace. Amen. Peace. Uh huh. He said, let there not, and just to show us what he meant, because he talks about the opposite side. Don't let there be divisions among you. So he's telling us what he's, what, he's, what he's really getting at here. He don't want there to be division. He wants there to be unity. He doesn't want there to be disharmony. He wants there to be peace. He doesn't want there to be this faction over here and that faction over there. He wants there to be a body joined together for the purpose and the work of the Lord. And he's talking to a church. Now, so our mouths get us in trouble. A very good story. I won't go through it all. And I, I, this is going to be abbreviated lesson maybe today. But um, just to show you how that can happen, 1 Samuel 25 is probably maybe one of the prime examples of how our mouths can work for us or against us. In 1 Samuel 25, the story is about Nabal and Abigail. And once again, David is thrown in this story as well. But in 1 Samuel chapter number 25, David is sending some of his servants, some of his men to Nabal. And he's hoping to get some type of uh, reward or kickback from Nabal. Because all the time that Nabal had his flocks here and there, David's men were in the area and basically serving as a protective line. They were serving as a protective line or protection for the sheep of Nabal. And so now that season is over and David's just sending word by his servants, hey, uh, we were there the whole time your sheep were grazing over here, and we were protection for them. Nabal, not taking, not, not, well, he was, not, he was picking up on the courtesy, but he wasn't wanting to do anything about it. He did not do anything for David and his servants, although they had done this great thing for, for, for them. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 25 and, and verse number 10, I want to, I want to see verse number 10. And, the, and you, I can read it. You don't have to see it on the screen if you don't want to. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? It's already strong. And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto the men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came told him all the things, 
all those sayings. So the servants now brings back to David. Nabal could care less about what she did. Now notice what he says. Am I going to take my bread and my water? Amen. And all these things. What did he say? My bread and my water. Am I going to take this? The things that the flesh that I have killed for my shearers. Am I going to do that? Am I going to give this to these men of David? Well, by golly, you wouldn't have had no bread or water had it not been for David's men. And so by his words, by his words, he stirs up a conflict. Because whenever David hears word about all this, he says, boys, get on your armor now. Yeah. Get on your armor now. If you read it, 1 Samuel 25, get on your armor now. He says, if he doesn't want to give us what is due to us, he said, we'll go to war. And so, man, the Calvary's together. They're on their way to do war. So here's Nabal by his idiotic mouth. Rather than bringing peace, he brought disunity. He brought disharmony. Now war's going to take place. They're on their way going to do battle. Abigail, though, Nabal's wife gets word about this. And she's thinking in her mind, my husband has been an idiot. We're about ready to have a battle on our hands. We would have never had on our hands had he just given the kind gesture that was due to these she starts getting together meat and vines and grapes and all these different things, have some servants running around. She's getting together all this different stuff to go and meet David. Now, look at Abigail. She's a good example of giving some very good words, <laughs> some enticing words, if you will, when war is approaching that's going to bring peace. Look at verse number 24 of that same chapter. The Bible says, here's Abigail. She falls down at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be, and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience, and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not, my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, she's talking about her husband, even Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. And so she comes and she speaks to David and she gives these gifts. All right. She gives these gifts unto David. Look at verse 28. I'm skipping through. Look at verse number 28. Look at her request now. Abigail's request. I pray thee. Here she's still with her word. She is being persuasive. With her word, she is bringing a war to an end that's not even started. She prays thee. She says, forgive. The trespass of thine handmaid. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord, she's speaking to David. You, David, fighteth the battles of the Lord. Evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. I, my husband has misinterpreted you, God. My husband has taken for granted for what you did. And with his mouth, he stirred up a war. But if he can stir up a war with his mouth, by my mouth, I'm going to bring peace to it. Honey, if we get ourselves in trouble by opening our mouths when we shouldn't and it stirs things up among the members of the congregation in the church, then by God, there's enough life and death power in the tongue that also by our mouths, we can bring peace, we can bring harmony, we can bring unity back to dissettled situations. If we pacify or be at peace one with another. Amen. And one way that we do that is the way that Abigail did it. She said, hear my words, but more plainly in verse 28, she says, forgive. Forgive. The reason why I say that is because forgiveness is a way 
to create or maintain peace among us. Because here is, here is the model of progression. When we refuse to forgive somebody over something that they have done or that we feel or interpret that someone has done toward us, when we refuse to forgive them, here's what humanity tends to do. If they don't forgive for somebody for something they've done toward them, they'll usually end up gossiping about what somebody did toward them. And whenever that happens, we spread whatever injustice may have been done to us. The whole scenario, we spread that to somebody else. And what started out as just an issue between me and Bob Gross now turns into an issue because, because I'm not willing to forgive him for what he did toward me or what I presume or perceive that he did toward me. Because sometimes it's not all that it happened, but you just perceive that it happened. You're all wrapped up in your own mind that you, you've been accosted. But anyway, now what's happened between me and him, because I'm not willing to forgive, but I am willing to talk about it to somebody else. And I start telling Pat, you know, the other day, Brother Bob did such and such, and, you know, that kind of really hurt my feelings, and that, I'm not too happy about that. And so now something that was just between me and Brother Bob are now between me and Brother Bob and Pat. And then I go somewhere and talk about it to somebody else. And look, Pat, he's not perfect. He talks to somebody about our little excursion. And then we come in here on a Wednesday night. We got five or ten people that knows about something they never should have known about. And we come in, and Brother and Sister Mason are trying to sing about, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, so please take me by the hand. And we don't understand why everybody's kind of a little staunch out in the audience. And it's all because somebody was rather stirring up war rather than peace with their words. Had if I taken care of the problem rightly, Bob could have hurt my feelings. But you know what? I could have forgiven him. I could have forgiven him. Kept my mouth shut, shut about spreading that to anybody else. And whenever we got to church, everybody else would have been all right. Bob would have been all right. And I'd been all right because I'd already forgiven Bob. So I don't have no issue there no more. And when we come to the church house, the spirit of God comes down. The power and the presence of the bond of peace comes down. People start getting the Holy Ghost moving upon them because there's unity and peace in the church. I'm telling you, sometimes I come to this podium and I'm like, man, you know, I feel like God's really got something or whatever. And I go forward and I'm like blood and it all stacks right up here at the pulpit. And I'm like, what in the world's going on? And I'm thinking, I wonder if there's war in the camp. You know, I'm kind of like Moses. I've been up on the mountain God for 40 days and 40 nights communing with God. He's been giving me instruction concerning the Ten Commandments and the tabernacle. And I'm coming down with the Ten Commandments ready to give it to the people. But all of a sudden I hear a sound. And Joshua's even saying, is that the war? Is that the, is that the voice of war you hear in the camp? He said, no. Moses said, that's not war. That's my people that's walked away from me. God bless you. Amen. So, so peace, peace, forgiveness is necessary. Peace, forgiveness is a way that peace comes in the body. It's necessary for peace. Words of forgiveness can bring harmony. Words of forgiveness can at times even facilitate reconciliation. The Bible says in Ephesians, Ephesians 32. I'm running high on folks. Ephesians 
4 and verse 31. Look at this. What, the, what Ephesians 4 is talking about, it's talking about this was the old man. This was the old man. This is who you were. Boom. You, you, you've been born again in the water and the spirit. You have put on the new man. This is who you were. This is who you are. This is what was. This is what is. And so that's what we see in these two verses, 31 and 32. 31 is what was. 32 is what should be, what is. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Was. Verse 32. Is. Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I'll comment on that in just a moment. Again, we see this in Colossians 3. Colossians 3 verses 13 through 15. Again, if you read Colossians 3, it's the, it's the old man versus the new man uh, scenario in context of Scripture. He says in verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Colossians 3, 13. If any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. Man, see, you see how Scripture constantly this, winding this serving and this loving and this peace and all this stuff together? He says, above all things, he said, put on charity, which is the bond of perf- perfectness. Look at 15. And let the peace, huh? and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now, it's talking about this forgiveness thing, even as, even as God or even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. We've seen this. This is very similar to loving one another, very similar to serving one another. Remember, you're supposed to love one another even as Christ loved you. You're to serve one another even as Christ washed their feet. They were to wash each other's, remember? And so here we are again with forgiveness, a peace avenue, even as you have, have forgiven, as you forgive one another, forgive as he has forgiven you. So there's the standard again, even as he. So as he has done to you, you do to others. You know, the the golden rule of Scripture, they say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, here's the other golden rule of Scripture. Do unto others as he has done unto you. He's loved you, loved them. Huh? He served you, served them with the same degree. He's forgiven you, forgive them. Amen. Amen. And the model and the end result is then you're letting then the peace of God be ruler and master in your hearts by doing so. And again, folks, forgiveness is not a feeling, just like love is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not, I don't feel like forgiving them. Let me tell you, if you're going to wait to feel like forgiving someone, it's going to be a long walk. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. And it's a choice that Christ asked us to make for one another because it was a choice he made for us. I guarantee he didn't feel like forgiving humanity when they were yet in their sin. But he made a choice to forgive them while they were yet sinners. Forgiveness is a choice. I'm closing because I know I need to. Stand with me. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Bishop years ago used to quote this verse quite often. And I think... A lot of times, we, most of them, when we quote it, we quote it up to the first comma. But still yet, 
It says, for God is not the author of confusion. That's what we normally would say. Oh, God's not the author of confusion. God's not the author of confusion. But if we read the whole verse, God is not the author of confusion, but that's telling us what he is the author of. He's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. He's not the author of confusion, but of peace. But of peace. Folks, I don't want to be dictating to the author what he should be writing. Amen. Peace automatically lends to an environment of what we'll get to next week. Peace automatically lends to an environment of exhortation and edification, of building up the members of the body of Christ. Peace among the members in the church lend each of us looking out for the other's good and advancement. Amen. I don't know if we have too many leaders out this morning, but the mantra of our leadership in the back and what we learn and are constantly learning is this, is that to be a liberator type of leader is fighting for the highest possible good in the other person or the people around you. Not self, not self uh, looking introspective, but outwardly fighting. And so when there's peace among the bodies, that edification, that exhortation for not my self exhortation. I am Paul McGee and I'm a great man. And blah, 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 blah. No. It's the exhorting and the building up of others. Things can be built up during a time of peace. Things can be built up. And so what are you asking us to do, Brother McGee? I know it's very volatile. But again, James and others has told us how there's life and death and the power of the tongue. You can speak either blessing or cursing by your mouth. So I'm asking you to use your mouth, but in the positive manner. Because it can, it can speak cursing. It can bring war. Literal wars in, in our world history has been started over mere words. But isn't it amazing that it's usually then words that brings ultimately that harmony again as well treaties, things pinned on paper. So the choice there lies within our laps. You can use your mouth for life. You can use it for death. You can use it to build up and exhort. You can use it to tear down. But if you'll, as a living sacrifice, back to Mark 9, as a living sacrifice, if you'll get salt in you and your speech to be seasoned with salt, then you'll have peace between you and others. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads in this place this morning. God, I come. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.